Well, how's everyone doing this morning on this Labor Day weekend? Lots of people out traveling and enjoying the last little bit of summer. You know, it's amazing how quickly uh, things have switched to fall-like. You know, it's, it was hot early in summer and now it seems like fall has come in, but I don't have any complaints about that. Fall is my favorite time of year. I just love when the leaves start to change, you get the warm days and the cool nights, and it's just, you know, can't get much better than that. Oh, well, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your presence in this place as we just worship you. We know that you are always here with us because there's nowhere that we go where you are not. But we just thank you. Thank you for your goodness that surrounds us. Your peace that is all around us. That there's nowhere that we could go that we would be separated from your love. So we just surrender to it right now. We just thank you for your goodness, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, as I was preparing this week, you know, normally I, I, I have a pretty clear idea of where we're going several weeks in advance. And, you know, I, I prepare in series, as you know, I, I like to preach series-wise. And as I was going through this week, it was like, it became a bit of a struggle, I'll be honest. You know, I think I spent about three times more than I usually do preparing. I've changed my slides so many times. And, you know, finally by the time I think Saturday hit, it was kind of like, well, you know, God, maybe I should just get out of the way a bit, you know? And just like, whatever it is that you want this morning, we're going we're gonna to go in that direction. And so we may use our notes, we may not use our notes, we may use some of it, we may use none of it. But, you know, it's important that we come, whenever we come to church, that we're open and we're drawing from the Holy Spirit because he is more than willing to throw out any message I ever had planned to get you what it is that you need. And, you know, I, I, I think of all the times that uh, my parents dragged us all over the world, you know, to, to all of these meetings everywhere. And, you know, before we would go in, we'd be just like, you know, we place a demand on the Holy Spirit. We've come to receive Holy Spirit, you always satisfy. And it didn't matter wherever we sat in the building, someone would find us and be pulling us to like the front row. And that's the last thing you do with a family with six kids. It's like you want less distractions up front. And you know, my kids sit up front, so I don't have a problem with that, but it's because I grew up that way. And wherever we'd be, they'd pull us to the front, and the minister would always have a word for us. We may have driven five hours to be there, and no one knew us, but the Holy Spirit always knows you. And so when we come any time to gather before God, it's, Father, I'm just open. I open my heart, and I choose to receive. I don't come just to fulfill a habit. I don't come just to have church. I come because I am the church, and I choose this morning to fellowship with you, Father. Jesus, you are the head of the church, which is your body, and we flow together as one unit. Everything flows down from your head, but we know we're not disconnected. We're not a decapitated body. We know that we are one together with you, and so Jesus, we just thank you for your goodness. Well, we've been working on a series now for about five weeks called Simple Things, and it really is the simple things that are the most important things in, that, that happen in our life. As Solomon said in Song of Solomons 2.15, he says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard, spoil the vine. And the little things, it's so important to realize that that's all they are. They're just little things. And the little things are the fixable things. Yeah. 
They're not things that are ever beyond what we're able. Because, you know, he never gives you something more than you're able. If you find yourself in the ring with something, you are more than able to whip it. Now, maybe your mindset is telling you something differently, but maybe God believes a little bit more of you than you believe of yourself sometimes. And so if it's before you, know that it can bow before you because it has to bow to the name of Jesus, and he's with you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I don't know what you're facing this morning, but whatever it is, it has to bow. It says every name bows to the name of Jesus. Every tongue confesses that he is Lord. And so whatever it is, go ahead, just get a mental picture of it bowing before you. Let it collapse before you like the walls of Jericho. Let it split before you like the Jordan River as they walked through it. Let it part like the Red Sea. Whatever it is you need to picture in your mind, you remember, it has to bow. It doesn't have a choice. And shame on us as Christians for sometimes giving situations too much of a choice in our lives. Hallelujah. And so we started off in this series talking about simply, who is your God? Because when you remember who he is, everything else falls of pieces. It can't compare to who our God is. He's awesome in wonder, great in all his ways. His mercies are new every morning. He's great and greatly to be praised. He's a never-ending source of love. He is peace. He's a Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, our, the Lord is here with us. He is, he is all the things that the Bible has said about him. They are true. They are true. And how true are they to you? And so last week we started talking about who are you? And normally when we would approach this subject, we would talk about it from a, from a relational stance. You know, who you are as sons and daughters of Almighty God, because that's who you are. You are kids of Daddy God. You are kids of the Father. We are family. And we can look at it relationally, but I think it's also important to understand what we are mechanically. And as Paul had pointed out to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, he said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, your soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul separates us and, and, and gives us a little glimpse into the fact that we are a three-part being, and that really shouldn't surprise us, because we are made in his image and his likeness, Right? And it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that God had three in one. And so when we look at you, you are a spirit, a soul, and a body. But yet you're one. Your spirit didn't walk in that door and your body in this one. If that happened, somebody would call the Ghostbusters. <laughs> but you are three distinct parts that have their purpose. And the real you is the spirit you. The one that has been made in God's image and his likeness. It said in Genesis chapter 2 that he formed you out of the dust of the air and then nothing happened until he breathed the breath of life into you. And that's what he's talking about with a spirit. The word pneuma just means breath. And it's life. And so you are a spirit. You have a soul. And you live in a body. And we need to keep our order of operations in order. Because life flows from spirit 
to soul to body. And oftentimes, we have needs in our body. Maybe we have sickness going on or whatever. There is life that God is wanting to let flow to your body that comes from the spiritual realm. And if we've let our soul or our mind, will, and emotions be the dominant part of our being, it can be like a stop to the very thing that God is trying to get to you. And when we look at our spirit, our spirit is always in agreement with God because it's been made one with him. That's what Jesus prayed in the garden in John chapter 17. He said, Father, that we might all be one as I'm one with you and you're one with me. Let them be one with us. Your spirit always agrees with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The spirit has become new. It always agrees with God. There is never any dissension between that spiritual part of who you are. But when it comes to your mind, your will, and your emotions, they can either be in agreement of what you are in Christ Jesus, or it can be op in opposition of what we are. How we've taught, been taught to think, or maybe we've experienced things that have formed certain mindsets in us, it can either be in agreement with God or in opposition. And what happens when agreement happens? We know that from a natural standpoint, he said, if two or three of you agree as touching anything here on earth, it shall be done for them. Well, what happens when it's your agreement with God? Is not he, he a person? And are not you a person? So what happens when you agree on something? Things begin to flow. And so life flows spirit to soul to body. And if we get our order of operations out of order... We end up stopping up the dam, and the very things that God is wanting to get to us, we're holding back ourselves from us. And as Paul told us when we looked through last week, your body is meant to be told what to do. Paul said, I keep my body under. He didn't say, I listen to my body, I feel how the wind feels today, and then I do whatever it wants. He said, I keep it under. And when he talked about our soul, he said our mind is meant to be set in a direction. And he always uses directive terms like have or let or set. Set your minds on things above. Let this mind be in you. Have this mind. Because when you think about it, here's what Paul also said. He said, you have the mind of Christ. So there's things that can, we can either be acceptive of or we can be rejective of. And so our body is meant to be told what to do. It just follows whatever is dominant in your life. You know, I was, I was uh, reading a while back that when they're training the Navy SEALs, that they, get, they train them in this fact that when you're tired, you've only gone 40% of the way. You've only used up 40% of your resources. So that tells us that our body wants to give up pretty early. So if we're listening to its voice... We're going to stop short of the journey that's before us. But it was never meant to be listened to. And it has a voice, right? We, we know it has a voice. It says, I'm hungry. I'm tired. Maybe it's not tired. Maybe it's I'm full of rest. We don't always have to talk about it from a negative side. But your body has a voice. It can say, I'm full when you've put too much in it. If we choose to listen to that one. <laughs> 
But your body is meant to follow whatever is dominant, and your mind will go wherever you allow it to go. You ever been sitting here in a sermon while I'm preaching away and your mind just begins to wander? Never. Never. Thank you, Gail. <coughs> Maybe you've been sitting at your desk at work and you're typing away and then you realize I'm just out there. You notice that your mind just begins to travel when you let it. And what do you do when you realize that it's begun to travel? You snap it back because your mind is meant to be directed. And so the reason why I'm, I'm put, putting the emphasis on that it needs to be directed, because a lot of times we take ownership over things that we shouldn't take ownership of. When you have thoughts that you think about yourself, they not, may not be actually true, but you've taken ownership of them. And you've allowed them to take up the mental resources that you have available to you. And there's also, in the, if, if our soul is our mind and our will and our emotions, there are emotions that you've taken over, ownership over that you may not actually be meant to be yours. You ever been like, oh, I'm just so sad? No, you're not sad, you feel sad. There's a difference. It's something that you're feeling that is subject to change. Whereas ownership means you're letting it set up camp. So you got to be careful about what you speak over yourself. We know that the Word of God is filled with the scriptures about the power of our words. That it builds up our world or tears it down. And so we need to be careful about how we speak about our emotions and our will and our own thoughts. Because you can be accepting things that God never meant for you to have. As the, one, the example I like to give you, Brother Hagin used to always say that you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. <laughs> and so thoughts come, thoughts can go, remember which ones to grab and which ones to send on their way. And so last week we left off in Romans chapter 8, and so if you're following along in your Bibles, why don't you join me in Romans chapter 8, and in verse 5... It says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set, there's that directive term again, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And so Paul here is showing two different examples. Those who follow after the flesh, and when he uses the flesh here, he's meaning our natural processes, meaning things of this earth. It's not necessarily meaning a bad thing, it just means it's a natural thing. He said, so for those that you can set your mind on those things, or lock onto them, or give them preeminence. But he also says that those who live according to the Spirit can do the same thing. You can latch yourself onto the things of the Spirit and begin to live out of them. And he says, for to be carnally minded or to be naturally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so that's why when we say if we get our order of operations out of order, we often block things because spirit flows, life flows spirit to soul to body. And so he says when we're focused on the natural things, those things only lead to death. We know that we're all doing that march naturally, right? We were born, and if we're still here before Jesus comes back, 
or he, he doesn't come back before we reach the end, hey, we're going to die. That's just the natural life cycle. So the things of this world are meant to come to an end. The things of the Spirit are meant to live forever. And so you can tap into a spiritual power force that is ever rejuvenating and ever renewing and ever life-giving when you set your mind on those things. And we know that Jesus didn't come to give us just good natural existence. He said in John 10, 10, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. He didn't say I came to give you a good 70. He came to give you life, which was Zoe, God quality of life. Life never ending. And shame on religion for teaching us that that happens when we're dead. When Jesus was speaking to people who were very much alive. And he said, I've come that you can have life, Zoe, now, and have it more abundantly. He also said in John 14, 27, that peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. There's those directive terms again. And so Jesus said he was bringing life and peace, and to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So where do you get the life and the peace Jesus came to give us? From the Spirit, not from the things of this natural world. So to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And it says in verse 8, it says, So then those who are of the f in the flesh cannot please God. And when he talks about pleasing God there, he's referring to living out life as God intended. Doesn't mean you won't live a life, but I choose to pursue the life that God intended for me, right? And so are you saying this morning, Pastor Jordan, that I should go to war on the things that I shouldn't think or do? Actually, I'm not actually saying that. Because something that Paul pointed out to us in the chapter 4, in, in chapter 7 of Romans, he talks about this struggle that was going on within him. And he said, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't end up doing. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he said, oh, what a wretched man that I am. When he was having some introspection, looking at himself, he realized that the more he tried, the harder he failed. And he says in verse 19, he said, I want to do what is good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. And he comes to the conclusion in verse 25 of this. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we try to combat those things that would stop us up from receiving the things of God, we end up making it actually worse. When the things of God were meant to be accepted and used, rather than the things of this world combated, because when it comes to natural things, they can't stand a chance against spiritual things. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't actually war according to the flesh, or the natural way. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The casting down of arguments 
and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You notice that it never said that you bring those thoughts into subjection. It says the knowledge of God does that. That just kind of made me have a head tilt when I read that a little while ago. All this time, I've been reading it as, I need to bring these things into subjection. I need to capture these thoughts. I need to not let them have dominion. But it's the knowledge of God that already does that. Do you know that your mind only has so much room to do so many things? And when you focus on the things of God and you fill your mind with the things of God, you have less time to think about everything else and do all those other things. But when I now stand on this side and say, okay, I need to not do this, I need to not think this, I need to not be this, what is the very thing that I'm now dwelling on? Everything that I need not to do other than the one that I should just be spending my time with. And that's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Because while I was seeking him, I forgot about all the other distractions. While I was seeking him, I forgot about all those obstacles the enemy tried to put in my way. And so Christ should always be the focus, not our strengths or our weaknesses. Because what you thought was strength today, God maybe, maybe knows you are stronger than that. And by focusing on yesterday's victories, you can actually stop tomorrow's greater victories. But by focusing on God, he always takes you from glory to glory and from faith to faith. And so Paul told the Galatians, he said, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Meaning when I'm so, when I'm so wrapped up in God and everything that he is and the things that he has for me, I don't have time for everything else. They just kind of fade away. And something else Paul said, he said, the strength of sin is the law. When, he, when we put into place a do this and don't do that, we've actually empowered sin in our lives. But we know that the kingdom of God is built upon the grace of God. It says in verse 17, it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, that you don't do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And so what we're talking about today as we move on in this series, is growing up spiritually. There's many things we could focus on, but it's more, more important to focus on the things that he said was important. And in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to follow me over there, we're going to be there for a bit. Is everybody doing okay? Yes. Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 1 he says... I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling for which you were called. And I just want to stop and say for a second, you all have a great calling. There is no one that God missed out on. Paul wasn't talking specifically just only to like one or two people. He's talking in general to the body of Christ here in the book of Ephesians. And he says, walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. So we have been called. There is a calling on our lives, and it's a great calling. 
And I like how he says it in the New Living. He says, I, a prisoner serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for which you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. I like that. Be patient with each other. We all need to hear that. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And so here, he's telling us that we shouldn't be focusing on other people's faults. We should be giving them an allowance for it. You know, we don't need to jump on everybody just because they don't live perfect, live just like we think we sh- they should. You know, I, I think it's a, a great story when uh, David Horton... A friend of his was sitting down to, they were starting a church and they had a few people that they knew in that community come. And he's like, what would we like to have this church be about? And this little old lady on the front row said, no smoking. And so he's like, okay, okay, no smoking. And is there anything else? She's like, no drinking. And so he writes it down. He's like, okay, I got one. No gluttony. And the lady just like went white because she was a very, very large lady. And he's like, oh, what? You don't like when we pick out your faults and your flaws? (laughs) He never told us if she ever came back. (laughs) But I'm guessing not. And he wiped it all away. And it was said the grace of God, the love of God. That's what churches are built on. We're not the fault police. And when we are busy pursuing God and leading others in pursuit of God, all those other things just seem to fade away when they're not important any longer. And so he says, make allowance for each other's faults because of your love, making every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And as I was reading that this week, I just realized, you know, that's simplicity. That's what he's saying. Keep it simple. One God, one Lord, one baptism. Stop messing it up and making it complicated. Verse 7 says, But each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The grace of God in your life is not based upon your gift, your calling, your good, your bad. It's based on the measure of Christ's gift, who never fails, never runs out of mercy and love. And each one of us, say me, has been given that measure of grace. And therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, and we just call those, those are the fivefold gifts, but you know that that's not the end of the giftings, because he also talks in another book about gift of giving, gift of helps, gifts of administrations. And so just because you may not find yourself in the gift of the fivefold ministry, God still has a gift and a calling because there's no unused parts in your body, so why would there be unused parts in his? You find out how useful your pinky toe is when you stub it. (laughs) 
And he says that he's placed these fivefold gifts, though, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So we're, it's something we are all meant to do, and that's something I'm seeing in the body of Christ where we look at it as ministers are here for the work of the ministry. No, we're all here for the work of the ministry. We're here to equip all, each other, for the work of the ministry, for the building up or the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be, everyone say it with me, children. What do we know about children? They grow up all too fast. When I look at my own four kids, I'm like, my goodness, I remember when you were this little. And now I go, oh my goodness, you're getting heavy. Children are meant to grow up. So are spiritual children in Christ Jesus. It would look funny if we had a bunch of full-grown adults in a diapers. But unfortunately, that happens in the body of Christ. People start, and then they never grow. But God is calling his sons and his daughters to grow up. I remember I was reading a story from uh, Brother Hagen, and it was in the last church that he pastored. It was in the late 40s. He had just gotten there, and there was these two sisters that uh, lived close to the church, and uh, he, he, he's like, they were so needy. He's like, they always needed me for something. They were constantly calling. And he'd be like, I would just finish preaching a message, and then the next day they'd be calling, having to do with, like, if you would just apply what I had preached yesterday, there was your answer. And he said he got to the point where they would miss church just so that he would call them to see how they were doing. And so he decided, he's like, never ever, as long as I pastor this church, will I ever visit them or call them on the phone again. And so the next week they missed church, expecting his call. And the next week they missed again, expecting his call, and he didn't call. And so finally they called someone else and said, well, pastor hasn't been to see me. And so the deacon came to him and said, well, have, how haven't you seen sister so-and-so and sister so-and-so? He's like, I, I will never go and see them. If you want to go see them, go see them yourself. But if they want to grow, they know where to find me. He's like, it only took about two more weeks where they realized it was serious, and then they showed back up, and they started to grow up. They started to learn, and he said, those two ladies became some of the best workers in the church of leading others further leading the children's groups leading the ladies groups leading the prayer groups he said but up until that point there'd never been any emphasis on them having to grow and learn to do things for themselves but as soon as i stopped treating them as babies and treating them as adults it's like man it's amazing what people do when they want to grow and the same for us it's amazing what we'll do when we want to do something. If you want to grow up in Christ, he will walk that journey with you. He will fast track missed years. And it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things. Who is the head? Christ. 
So we've all been called to grow. We've all been called to stand on our own two feet. And it's great for us as Christians to support those around us. But us as individuals, it's our job to stand and allow ourselves to mature. So how do we grow? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. (laughs) Peter, everyone knows that Peter had some work he had to do on himself, right? Right? One minute he was like, yes, that's how it is. And then his next moment he's cursing Jesus saying, that'll never be. Peter had a lot of work to grow. He had a lot of failures, but he also had a lot of successes. And his advice was this, that as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you might grow thereby. The fastest way to grow is go where the growth serum is. And that is the living, breathing word of God. Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, or what is the real you spiritually and what are your thoughts. It divides what's the joints in the marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts in the intents of the heart. The word of God will separate subjects before you and show you what is the real truth. And you know what happens when that, ha- when that happens before your eyes with the word of God? You are left with an option. Do I accept it or do I reject it and stay as I've always been? We know that Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we know if faith moves mountains and that faith pleases God, the way that faith comes is through the word of God. So an absence of the word of God causes us not to grow and causes our faith to be weak and to dwindle. And so the fastest way to grow is to get a diet of the word of God. When Paul was talking to the Corinthians, and we know they had some great things going on in their church. There was lots of gifts of the spirit. There was lots of words of wisdom and prophecy going on. But this is what he still had to say to them in spite of all that. He said, and brethren, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. And so I fed you with milk and not with solid food. What did Peter say? He said, desire the sincere milk of the word that you will grow thereby. He says, until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. You are still carnal, for where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Well, haven't we been called to something more than that? We've been called to be spiritually minded, which is life and peace. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 5, he says, For by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles, the oracles of God, and have come to need milk and not solid food. I like what he says. He says the oracles and the first principles. What's he talking about? The simple things. No matter how far we grow in our walk with God, The simple things never become irrelevant or lose their power. When we boil it all back down to the cross is all you need to know and all you'll never need to know. If that's the only thing you knew, you'd be fine. And it will never lose its power. It will never lose its effect on you. When you focus on Jesus, the simple things, 
It's the simplicity of the word that promotes growth. So how do we apply that practically? You know, I've found, just as many other and other areas of life have found the same thing, when you don't have a plan, you often fail. Some people say that failure to plan is planning to fail. When it comes to my word growth, I never leave it to I feel like it or I want to right now. I plan for it. Why? Because I'm planning for growth. I'm not planning to stay the same. And so I found the best way to keep ourselves accountable and to keep ourselves growing is to have a set time and a set schedule as to what we're going to do with the Word of God. And you know, the thing is, this isn't hard to do. We have so many amazing apps these days that do this for us. We can download YouVersion or Olive Tree and just be like, okay, I want a plan that I read through the Bible in 365 days. I want to read through half the Bible in that time. Whatever it is that you choose to do, there are things that will support you in it. And when you set time aside for God, you want to know what happens? He shows up to meet you there. When you honor his word, he begins to reveal its thoughts and intentions to you. When you keep it before your eyes, you know what you find? Faith begins to rise. And when faith is arise, when those other situations walk into your life, you'll be like, this can't stop me. I know who my God is. I know what he said about me. And so the, as practical as we can make this be is plan to consume the word of God. And I've always erred on the side of, I would rather have quality over quantity. You don't need to read 100 chapters a day. But if you get through one, you're probably doing well. And what happens is little by little, we begin to grow. And that's exactly what happens with a child. We don't often notice the little steps. But then when we stand back, we're like, Whoa, when did you go from here to here? Because they're growing constantly, all the time. And when we input the word of God into ourselves, he grows us. Step by step, moment by moment. And I'd rather have too much word available to me than not enough. Amen? Why don't you stand up with me this morning? Father, we thank you for the simple things. We thank you for the little things that you've given to us to keep us on track, to keep us moving forward in you. And right now, we just say thank you for your word. Yes. We thank you that you've left it for us. You've given us instructions, everything that we need to know. And so we just choose to honor your word and say thank you for it in Jesus' name. Maybe you've been listening to us this morning via the internet and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. We don't like to leave a service without giving you an opportunity to do that. And so we would love to pray with you right now. We're all going to pray along with you, so don't feel like you're all alone. But just say these simple words with us. Say, Father, I receive Jesus. I thank you that you sent him for me, that he died for me, and that he rose again for me. So I receive him, and I say thank you. Amen.
If you prayed that with us this morning, we would love for you to get in contact with us. We would love to get some resources into your hand and get you hooked up with a good church in your area. If you're in the Smith Falls area, we would love to say welcome home. We'd love to walk this journey with you. Well, I thank you for your time and for your attention this morning, Pastor Robin. Have glory. You know, uh, Pastor Jordan mentioned about us uh, dragging the kids all around the world. <laughs> and um, was, it was uh, a pleasure to do that, as much as a sacrifice it was, because you, you basically, you, you reap what you sow. Amen? And so where we would travel to be under certain ministries and just, you know, to, to get, you know, to, uh, get blessed and, and so on and just to bring the kids up in that sort of atmosphere um, you know if it wasn't here you know church worth the drive is is uh, uh, church alive is worth the drive is what one of the sayings is right and so uh, there's nothing in it was in the area so we would travel and so that's what we found with this church but started 20 years ago was that uh, uh, you know we had people traveling distances to come because they felt that this is a church that was alive amen and it still is and so, this is, you know, as a song we said about the children, and their children, and their children, and that's, amen, that's what we want. Amen? We want them into the things of God. Amen? Amen. And so, it's offering time, and it is, amen. And, um, and so, let's just have a look at this uh, screen here that tells us how we can give. There we go. <laughs> All right, so you can give online, wordchurch.ca slash give. Uh, and or you, just, uh, in the, we have a back, at the back of the church there. You can drop an envelope in uh, as you leave, and the envelopes are in the seats in front of you. And um, you can give that way, by check, cash, uh, and so on. That works as well. Amen. So let's look at the scripture. Um, so this is uh, what Paul's telling the Corinthians. He says uh, the subject matter here is sowing and reaping. Just prior to this scripture here. He says, you know, you can give give a little, you get a little, you, you, you give a lot, you get a lot sort of thing, the sowing and reaping. So it says this, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Well, this, this isn't quite here. It's, it's actually this. It says, so each one as he purposes in his heart. That's the way it reads in the original. So th this is the great thing about the grace we live in. We don't have to give, we get to give. Amen? And so that's the way it reads. I like the way it reads in the new t in the living. And this is this is a, a, a far thing for me because I love the original translations, King James, New King James Version. But in the, in the living translation that Jordan likes, it says you must each decide in your heart how much to give. It didn't say give. It says you must decide how much you, how much you're going to give, and don't give reluctantly or in, per in response to pressure. And I'm not pressuring you to give. Nobody here will ever do that. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Amen? And I tell you, if you, people that don't want to give, that give, don't give cheerfully. <laughs> Amen? So we can do it cheerfully. Amen? And it goes on to say, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Well, I like this part here. It says, it makes all grace abound toward you. There's a grace in giving. There's a grace in receiving. And I don't want to ever frustrate the grace of God. And I've been at this 45 years. I understand how giving works. And I've lived it for 45 years. Amen. And I've enjoyed the grace of it. Amen. Both, both ends of it, giving and receiving. Amen. 
Hallelujah. So, and he may have an abundance for every good work. Amen. Again, in the in the, the Living Translation, it says, and God will generously provide all you need, then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's what the church does, right? We share with others. We share love. We share ministry. We share our, our resort. Amen? Amen. All right. So, it's been a good day. Amen? Amen. So, again, just the baskets in the back, and we can give online. And uh, you are blessed. Amen? We'll see you again soon.